I think because I think a lot of times when they pitch an idea and I've been on the other side of the table watching people pitch and if they're missing one of those things it's like okay you know it's a, it's a pretty quick no This episode features a conversation with Mark Christofferson. Mark Christofferson brings over three decades of expertise to the forefront of medical device industries with pivotal roles at Medtronic in leadership and venture-backed startups. Mark's track record includes foundational roles at Inspire Medical and Cryosa, where he was instrumental from the startup phase through commercialization. With a rich background in managing international development, clinical trials, and a wide array of therapies, Mark has made significant contributions across various domains. His expertise in class three implantables is only a glimpse into his capabilities. Specifically, he has worked with technologies in neural stimulation, cardiology, heart failure, sleep apnea, disposable catheters, radio frequency in vapor ablation, and cryotherapies. His diverse experience highlights his versatility and innovation in healthcare solutions. Renowned for building dynamic teams and cultivating strategic relationships with healthcare practitioners and partners, Mark's leadership continues to influence the medical device sector as he resides in Minnesota. This is Favorable Environments, a podcast sponsored by the USD Discovery District. And now, here's Mark Christofferson. You know, I, I grew up in Minnesota, Alexandria, Minnesota, and went uh, to a little local college here, Bethel, Bethel University. Now it's a university, and then uh, transferred to the U of M. Uh, really excited about getting an electrical engineering degree. I had almost no interest in medical device or medical at that time. Um, in fact, when I was in school, I, I landed an internship at Honeywell. I was I was writing software code for you know the Boeing triple seven airplane, and uh, super passionate about that. And um, and yeah, and, and basically, you know, hit there was a recession when I was working at that time, and they, they laid off all of us uh, interns and consultants that were, you know, young. Uh, so I basically started looking at other career options and took a took an interview from Medtronic and um, and ended up, I really wasn't interested in Medtronic, and that's probably why I got the job. I was, you know, probably <laughs> relaxed and, and did well. Um, but yeah, I got, I took an interview at Medtronic. They gave me an offer. I was like, wow. And I think actually after seeing the passion of the people in that interview process, that one interview kind of changed my mind. Um, just seeing how those people worked every day. It's almost like they were showing up for work. Um, you know, like their paycheck was almost secondary, right? They were so excited about changing lives, you know, changing uh, disease states, fixing diseases that have never been cured. Um, so that got me really excited. I took took the job. This is a long time ago, but I, I worked at Medtronic for 15 years, um, you know, through the 90s, through the early 2000s. Uh, great company. I learned a lot. Um, I was back, you know, when the company was a little more nimble and fast. And um, I was really blessed to have the opportunity to work in a corporate ventures role inside the company. And that's where the Inspire Medical, um, Inspire Therapy uh, really was born way back in the, you know, um, really early 90s, uh, people like Roy Testerman and Don Erickson and Tim Herbert, a lot of people, you know, early back in those days. Um, so that gave me kind of a taste of, uh, it was also a venture environment inside Medtronic. They set up a, they set up a group that was, um, you know, really structured as, as a venture um, 
business. Glenn Nelson, the vice chairman of Medtronic, set it up and kind of gave us, you know, uh, almost a blank checkbook and all the resources of Medtronic to go after unmet medical diseases. Um, so that was a really great opportunity. Um, you know, I can maybe expand, you know, if you want me to walk through the my rest of my career path, but um, Inspire, the Inspire project in Medtronic actually fell in hard times late 90s, actually after we saw uh, okay. the therapy work. And um, we, it, so I went on to do other things in Medtronic, but in 2007, we, um, Tim Herbert came to me and said, hey, would you like to spin this out with me? Would you, you know, would you leave Medtronic to go with and do this? And I was like, absolutely. Um, so Tim and I left in 2007 and uh you know set up shop glenn nelson gave us a little seed money to get started and we were able to raise series a after leaving medtronic um and ran through so what what was your relationship with risk at that point can you describe like you know going from and, and I, I look at engineers I, i'm sitting across from one right now and uh there seems to be some that are okay with risk but others that you know it's really not kind of in their their uh, purview uh how, how did your experience at medtronic uh, influence that and then what 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 were you thinking when you were asked to break out yeah um you know i guess that my thought was um you know, I really want to be passionate about what I do every day. And I was starting to get less passionate about kind of the, you know, Medtronic has become a bigger culture and um, you kind of had to stay more in your lane, whatever job what you're doing. So I really wanted to have more breath and more, you know, exposure. And I was really passionate about the Inspire Therapy. You know, looking back, it was a risk to jump out. But I think I also knew at the time that, you know, um, I was marketable. I could come back to a big company. Um, sure. But I think yeah, and I think the risk environment in the Twin Cities has changed over the last 10 years. It used to be it was really hard to get people to leave the big companies, the security of the big companies. I think that's changed a ton in the last 10 years. Now people see the big companies as probably more risky, that you just never know when musical chairs will stop and you lose your position, yeah. right? And um, I think the, st uh, the startup world is pretty hot here in town, and there's it's you know constantly people um, you know jumping into the startup world. And I think people want to be – in a company where they can use their skills and and really see, hey, I did something today. I went to work and I actually moved the needle. Um, so I think that's you know a big shift that's happened in the Twin Cities. That's you know I, again I, I think the uh, how we evaluate that is so important and it's interesting to hear you talk about what the culture is now. Um, what experience did you have then at, at in those early days of Inspire when you broke away? Did it feed that enthusiasm? You felt like you were contributing, or were there days where you know, you're just pulling your hair out, wondering if you did the right thing? No, I think you know a couple of things there, Ryan. Like uh, initially, it was a little daunting because it was two of us in the office, right? It's kind of quiet you know and you, and you know when someone goes to lunch and comes back and we hired you know pretty quickly but it was daunting being alone it was also a little bit daunting to have you know like developing a quality system for a startup company having a blank sheet of paper and just saying okay what's it going to be um but i think you know we commented it was really rewarding to feel you know after a week would go by you know we would comment that we just did a month's worth of Medtronic work this week or maybe two months worth right you could actually get stuff done <laughs> so um so it was a good feeling you know and i think people i always ask me like how do you deal with it how do you deal with you know benefits how does it and that all all that came together really easily it wasn't that hard there's there's consultants there's groups and it was actually easier than i thought 
It, it was. Did you find yourself having to be actively engaged in raising capital? Yeah, we were pretty actively engaged early on. You know, Tim did the heavy lifting and capital, but I was very involved and, you know, listening in and, and had to be part of the messaging. And there was always, you know, you know, venture capitalists are always questioning, well, why didn't Medtronic invest in this? And, and if it's so good, why'd they let it go? You know, so those are always questions you have to overcome. So, yeah. yeah. So from Inspire then, how long, t- uh, talk to us about that that journey. How long did it last? And uh, what, what do you take away from that experience? Yeah, so I, we spun out of Medtronic in 2007. Um, it was fun to build a team from scratch. It was great to handpick, you know, people, um, some of them I knew, some of them I didn't, you know, and it was just great to put together a really high quality team. And, um, you know, most of those, actually all of those people are still family to me today, right? If I see them or we, we, a lot of us stay in touch. And awesome. um, yeah, so just really fun experience, um, hard work. And um, so great, it was just great going to work every day. And that's kind of my goal wherever I'm at. Um, but basically, um, you know, we, I stayed through um, FDA, the FDA submission process. And at that time, I got recruited by another company local that I knew the founder who he and I had worked closely together, you know, in Medtronic. Um, and it was it was a tough decision to leave Inspire at that time. I was, you know, basically um, ready for a new challenge. I've been working on sleep apnea for, you know, six years in Medtronic and seven years at Inspire. And so I thought, okay, it's it's good time. My work is done. You know, the development was done, and I was VP of um, VP of product development and operations. So um, it was a little bit more of a slow pace. And in fact, one of my good friends there was like, "Mark, don't leave now. We can actually, you know, relax and golf on Fridays a little bit." <laughs> but uh, I moved on to a, another company called Nextera in town that was working on on a prostate ablation therapy. And what was it? Was there one thing that tipped the scales or did you just feel like uh, you wanted to kind of take on another venture or or, or uh, take on a new startup? Yeah, you know, I knew the founder, Michael Hoy. He and I had worked on this technology while I was in Medtronic. So it was nice to see that get that project funded and moving and he needed help getting it through the you know commercial stage of product development. Um, so to me, it was a new challenge, whereas, you know, my work at Inspire had kind of you know, the challenge for me was less because I had got the product into clinicals and we had shown that it was working. Um, so so it was just a new challenge, a new group of people and um, a new opportunity. So um, definitely a hard transition to, you know, leave kind of a, a group I was very used to and go to a new yeah. group. Yeah. But, uh, but still, I think it was a good learning experience for me. Sure. And can you tell us a little bit about then that that company and kind of where, where it took you? Yeah, so that, that company... Um, was developing a steam-based uh, therapy for prostate, uh, enlarged prostate, and then they've now spun off a new company that's working on prostate cancer. Um, so really just the product, the company was kind of mid-stride, you know, so I came in and helped them get through some of the agency testing and uh, reducing the cost of the device, getting into manufacturing, um, and really getting them through the um, through their pivotal study. Uh, so good experience, um, great team there, and a very cool novel technology that, that Michael Hoy had developed. And um, it was just fun to be able to see, you know, a new technology being used, a uh, much faster procedure than was existing today. Um, and how, how long were you with that organization, Mark? Yeah, I was there about two and a half years. Okay. Um, yep. And then from there, um, I dabbled a little bit with Michael Hoy. We were looking at maybe starting a new company with Steam um, in a different 
uh, medical space. Um, but I jumped from there to another company called Cardionomic. Um, and it was with, a, with that company for about two and a half years, also trying to develop. This was a new um, therapy for um, treating heart failure with the NeuroStim device. A very novel, very new, you know, wow. kind of high risk. Um, and then from that company, I, you know, was um, approached for my first CEO role, which um, I was excited to take, and it was back in sleep apnea. So uh, first CEO role with a company called Cryosa, and um, they used a cryotherapy, much like a therapy called cool sculpting, that when you freeze, freeze tissue, freeze fat, the fat is much more sensitive to cold. Um, so that company is now um, just getting into the US clinical phase, but they're, um, you know, an exciting new therapy for early stage sleep apnea, kind of a first line of defense. How can you, re, you know, shrink the fat in the airway? Sure. And they're they're based here in the Twin Cities. Um, so with, with that company, you know, basically came in as employee number one and built a team. Um, they had some early funding established by the founder, and then I went off to raise another 20 some million dollars uh, for that company. Wow. And, um, and now they're, um, they have a more commercial stage CEO that's bringing them in through the um, U.S. stages and you know, hopefully to market in the near future. And Mark, can you maybe talk a little bit about uh, Cryosa and how they found you and what that, I mean, how did you, were you uh, eager and ready to take on that kind of chief executive officer role or was that something that you had to kind of uh, go through and, and evaluate whether or not uh, this, this was the right time for you to do? Yeah, I wasn't really ex expecting it, but they found me just through my work at at Inspire. Um, I was pretty well known through that through that role, and I had been gone long enough that my non compete was no longer a factor. Um, and I think you know, once I saw the technology there, I thought, okay, this is a very exciting technology. Could really revolutionize, um, you know, one aspect of treating sleep apnea. And um, yeah. I liked the fact that it was um, building a team from scratch, much like I had done at um, Inspire. And I think watching, you know, mentors, you know, like Tim Herbert was a great mentor to me through the years and just watching him build teams and lead the company. I think, you know, having mentors like that to, um, you know, watch how they, you know, built a team, built a company, uh, managed through the risk of it, you know, was helpful. So I was ready to try that out. And it was, you know, a good experience. That's amazing. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, pilfer a little bit from uh, Frank's conversation, but you talk about, I think the originally it was based in Austin, is that correct? And most of your investors were in Austin. Uh, but you talk about how you kind of you, how you evaluated whether to move to Austin or to stay in the Twin Cities. Um, and that really kind of speaks to, I think, what's important, and you touched on it earlier, is the ecosystem that exists. Uh, can you walk us through kind of how you evaluated that and how you pitched it to the, to the, the founders? Yeah. You know, initially when they pitched the idea, I was really excited about the technology and I thought, well, okay, Austin, the weather's a lot better than Minnesota, but you know, I'm pretty well anchored in Minnesota with family. And, um, you know, I thought, okay, could I commute, you know, in this world of zoom and, and you can fly, but, um, really, and you know, the ecosystem in, in the twin cities has everything I need. And I think, you know, the one joke that we always say, there's only nine people in med tech. <laughs> there's uh, you kind of know everyone and through everyone, you can kind of find what you need. There's everything from animal labs here. The university of Minnesota has a great ecosystem, cadaver labs, physicians, um, and just the, the number of people who have 
you know, been in the Medtronics, been in the Boston Scientifics, and have kind of gone out and hung their own shingle, consulting or employee, you know, full-time employee. All of those people are here from engineers to regulatory people to, you know, um, you know, just histopathologists. There's just a, you know, a whole ecosystem you need to get these projects done. And it's really, you know, easy here and collaborative. And, you know, I think, you know, everyone kind of knows everyone. So that really helps. So my, my concern, if I went to Austin, Texas, is like, okay, I'd be starting from scratch. And I'd really be coming back up to Minnesota asking for help. Um, and I think, you know, what I, I pitched the, uh, I pitched the team in the investors and said, look, if I, if I put this in Minneapolis, I'll have all of these people in their chairs working in, you know, 30 to 60 days. Yeah. They're, they're a little bit in disbelief, but I think, <laughs> you know, but we did that and they were, you know, we were off doing um, early animal research, you know, 60 days later. And I think they were pretty impressed uh, with wow, the speed. Yeah. In fact, the, um, the venture capital group that was the Series A leading group, we were the first company they invested in Minnesota. Before that, they were all on the coast. And okay. um, by the time I left Cryosa, four years later, they had five companies in Minnesota. In Minnesota. <laughs> so I think, you know, work ethic, the ecosystem paid off. And, um, you know, I think yeah. we changed their, their mind about Minnesota. And, and would you say, what would are the contributing factors, I think, that have built up this ecosystem in the Twin Cities? And uh, maybe kind of to dovetail that, what is what is keeping that ecosystem alive and, and well today? I mean, you've got, as you mentioned, it's a little bit of a small world, but there's, it, I, I mean, we're trying to build up that ecosystem here in South Dakota. And I think uh, we, we hear a, com, a couple of common comments, but I'd be very interested in, in kind of your perspective on what's contributed and then what's keeping it going in, in your world. Yeah, I think having, um, you know, the key is, you know, having engineers um, and the talent available. And I think that can come out of the universities, but having some of the experienced engineers available, I think, you know, now in, in the world of Zoom, it's easier to transport people back and forth you know, and add people. In fact, my my regulatory person has since moved to Sioux Falls and um, just just for tax reasons. <laughs> and she does, uh, she does her uh, Zooms on the car ride to and from and does zooms and spends a week here but but i think having the key people um you know getting that experience base and it probably is you know kind of using a farming term a little bit of a spin the flywheel exercise yeah. right and it doesn't happen instantly but i think you know one company at a time and you know bringing an in investment locally having local companies um spawn more companies and i think that ecosystem if you if you put focus on it both from maybe from a political government standpoint from a university standpoint from an investor standpoint it's a spin the flywheel but it will come and i think i see it happening up in fargo i know north dakota is kind of pushing some investment that way and there's companies in fact um the investor who's in my new company has a ventilator company up in Fargo. So when they come to town, Fargo's close enough that they'll come visit me and then they'll hop up to Fargo. So. Sure, sure. And are you You mentioned, I think the, uh, and I, I might have this wrong, Mark, but uh, uh, for Cryosa, am I saying that, pronouncing that right? Yeah, uh, the early dollars or early uh, investment, was that from Sante Ventures? And, and you said now they're, they've got you know, kind of five investments in, in the Minnesota uh, territory area. Do you see in, in terms of the ecosystem that you work in today, is most of the money, the investments coming from inside of Minnesota or are they still coming from outside, you know, the, the coasts? Yeah, that's a great, great question, Ryan. I think that's the area I'm 
passionate about is, um, you know, when I look at Inspire Medical, their their market cap it's down a little bit now, but they hit almost ten billion market wow. cap. Wow. You know, uh, and that all that investment, almost all, there was some local money, like Glenn Nelson was the you know chairman, and he put some money in, but for the most part, the money came from the coast, you know, New York City wow. and and uh, Sand Hill Road in San Francisco, which is known for all the VCs out there. Um, you know, so it's, I think that's a, a sad thing that a lot of that investment, you know, came into Minnesota, which is great, helped fund a lot of salaries and work here. But uh, also when the company succeeded, that money they left Minnesota um, and left the local economy. I'd love to see more of a, you know, rinse and repeat where local yes. investors can come in and, and, you know, profit from these investments and also help, you know, feed the ecosystem. Yeah. When you look at uh, some of those firms and then also some of the homegrown funding opportunities or investment opportunities, uh, if, I always sit on this side of the desk, right? If you turn, turn it around and you're on the other side of the desk, what do you evaluate? Uh, you know, I hear team, I hear obviously workforce, I hear all of these things. But from your experience, what is what does an investor or a fund really truly look at uh, in terms of how they make the decision to invest in a company that's you know in a flyover state? Yeah, I think um, well, part of it, you know, historically, some of these VCs just didn't want to travel for a board meeting, and this was kind of pre-Zoom, right? Back sure. in the every board meeting was in person. So it was a, you know, for Inspire, it was like, okay, a painful, all these investors had to fly in. <laughs> you know, and that was you know, a painful thing for them. Whereas if they had invested in a San Francisco company, they just drove across town. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think Zoom has changed it a lot. I think now like board meetings, it's very common. Like every other one is a Zoom board meeting. Yeah. Um, I just had a board meeting in New York this week. I flew out there, but my team was in Minnesota on Zoom. You know, so you can kind of cut the travel costs that way. Yeah. Um, but I think, um, you know, I think they want to see, they do want to see experienced people, if, if possible, that have done this before. That's always, sometimes that's a chicken and egg problem, right? Yes. But they want to see some experience on the team. And I think they want to see, with that experience, they can kind of see that the company has checked all the boxes of, you know, everything from technology feasibility to reimbursement. Does the company know how they're going to make money on the project. And a lot of times I see that will be a fatal flaw. You know, um, someone will come up with a venture idea to, a fund, to fund a company or, a, you know, a new concept, but they really haven't thought through how will this get reimbursement? How long will that take? You know, who will pay for it? And that sometimes is the fatal flaw. But Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think, again, we are in an environment where we are wanting to really invest in our biotech ecosystem and you know there's just so many things that have to intersect uh you know ip for one ideas technology workforce um as you've gone through your career and looked at all of, i mean what a great thing to be able to say you were involved in inspire right i mean that's got to be kind of a unique uh you know something to look back on um, what uh, would you say are the important elements uh, that have kind of brought you to where you are, uh, be it uh, personality traits or work ethic? Uh, what do you contribute to your success? Yeah, I think, you know, I grew up uh, with, with parents who were teachers and farmers. That work ethic was definitely one thing. Um, you know, in Minnesota, weather helps with that. What else are you going to do all winter long, right? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but I think also, I think, just um you know from a leadership style realizing 
the people that work on these projects, and I don't even want to say work for me, they work for themselves. You know, they have they have equity in the company. Um, I think having people be doing what they're passionate about and setting them up for success and, you know, really the old world of carrot and stick really doesn't work. And I think getting people excited about, hey, we're on a mission to cure sleep apnea or provide a better therapy for um, enlarged prostate or whatever the disease state is, and we're doing something that's important for mankind. And, and people get excited about using their skills and, and their their gifts to do those things. And I think when they people show up every day, you know, hey, how can we maybe make you successful in this company? Um, you know, versus uh, sometimes in the bigger companies, you're dealing with, you know, more politics and more, you know, window dressing to, to show Absolutely. up. So I think yeah. that that's been my passion is just building a team that has fun. You know, if we're, if we're not having fun in the job, um, you know, why would we, why are we here? So that's that's really been my passion. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, based on you, you've mentioned a couple of names of people who have been really a big influence on you uh, in obviously growing teams. Uh, do you have I, I ask this question all the time and I kind of get some blank stares, but do you have a leadership philosophy that you personally work off of when you're developing teams or when you're you're in these leadership roles? Um, you know, I think, you know, kind of, as I said, just really finding the top talent that I can find for these roles, but then getting, you know, giving them a direction ahead and getting out of their way and, um, you know, really letting people, um, you know, I think take, you know, take risks, take their own work seriously um, and finding people that are better me better than me at these roles. Right. And then just being in that, you know, servant leadership role to help them be successful, right. Is, is the best way to, is to, to run the company in my opinion. And, um, and, you know, just really finding uh, great teams that gel together. Really, it's how you're trying to put together a team that's almost like family. You've got each other's backs versus trying to outcompete each other is, is really a, you know, area I try to keep focused on. Absolutely. No, great, great points. And uh, very, very thankful that, you know, when we get to have these conversations with people of your status or your stature, your experience, uh, to be able to share some of those tidbits of, you know, what, what has brought you big fan of the servant leadership philosophy. I think it's important. I believe that in a day of our time when culture kind of, sometimes we point to ourselves, uh, social media and, and other, other, uh, channels or mediums, it becomes uh, a little challenging to find and weed through some of those people who are really at the core wanting like you said, to do good, change the world, but bring those people who kind of see that same that same vision along with them. Um, would what would you say uh, if you were to give some advice to kind of a, a startup company or an early stage company out there trying to make a go at it, or even that founder who has an idea? Uh, do you have any any words of advice for that that individual or that that team? Yeah, I think um, I guess first making sure that they vet. Um, all of the kind of check boxes that a venture capital group is looking for, you know, and uh, and I see that's where I see a lot of people with, with great ideas, but they haven't really thought through, you know, who's the customer, who's paying for it, what do physicians yeah. really want, what, you know, what makes the physician successful and really working through those items. And um, I think because I think a lot of times when they pitch an idea and I've been on the other side of the table watching people pitch and if they're missing one of those things, it's like, OK, you know, it's a, it's a pretty quick no. Um, so I think yeah. 
really getting out, maybe finding some venture capital people before they pitch, even pitch it, pitch it just to say, Hey, I'd like to uh, run this by you. What are we missing? And getting that, getting that stuff ironed out before they get too serious about it. Um, yeah. No, I, and I, again, I think, you know, we, uh, having worked with some very, very high functioning inventors, you know, very intelligent people, uh, sometimes that, that business or that investor lens uh, gets lost in uh, not the, necessarily the overall picture, but in the technology itself and trying to, I mean, you're building the best mousetrap in the world. And uh, sometimes it's difficult for the rest of us to see that it's the best mousetrap in the world. And so uh, being able to translate the technology and address what investors want, uh, in my experience, also has been very important. Um, Ryan, one last comment. I think looking back at Inspire, there was a lot of doubters, you know. Sure. And like the, you know, even Medtronic internally felt like, why would a sleep apnea patient want to put an implant in? This is an implantable device like a pacemaker. So there was a lot of doubters early on too. So I want to make sure like, you know, early investors realize there'll be doubters. They have to kind of punch through that. So it's kind of hearing both messages and, and punch <laughs> it through. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. Uh, as we wrap up, I, I kind of, you know, try to end with this this question, Mark. Uh, what would you like the world to know uh, about Mark Christofferson? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I haven't really thought about that. But I, I think, you know, from my perspective, uh you know, I was not planning to go on medical device. This was kind of a journey, right? And things, uh, and, and you know, there's a plan in place somewhere, and it it, uh, it worked out fantastic. So I think for you know, maybe younger students, younger entrepreneurs, um, you know, kind of follow that 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 plan, and uh, you know, just kind of a local Minnesota guy that that followed the medical device uh, success story here. So uh, hopefully, others can follow the same pathway. Yeah, love it, love it. Uh, if if uh, anybody would like to reach out to you or, or be in contact with you, Mark, what is the best way for you uh, to for that to happen? Yeah, happy to. You know, LinkedIn. I, I usually monitor LinkedIn pretty closely, so feel free to connact or send a email that way. Um, would be great. Perfect. And, uh, perfect. Yeah, and look forward to uh, Sioux Falls uh, showing up on the map as a uh, medtech hub and uh, an investment hub. Thank you for listening to this conversation with Mark Christofferson. This podcast is sponsored by the University of South Dakota Discovery District. The USD Discovery District is a newly established research park located in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, committed to offering cutting edge life science facilities to companies engaged in advancing life science, biotechnology research, and innovation. For more information, please visit usddiscovery.com and favorableenvironments.com. Thank you.